Hi everybody, Jordan Ostra from Legalese Marketing. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna start off with the sorry for the late start, even though that's probably not the way to start a video. But I feel badly about it. It is completely my fault. I did not test the camera that has worked a hundred times before. Did not work today. So, Rachel, our wonderful guest, had an immense amount of patience with Breezy and I as we attempted to fix it in a way that was unsuccessful. Hopefully, you all don't notice any difference. But I am on my phone. Uh, and using the computer instead of on the computer and using my phone for all this. So we're going to make it work. Um, today, Rachel is going to talk to us about how we do creative marketing. For those of you that do not know Rachel, uh, she works with RZA Legal since 2005. They've been guiding entrepreneurs, investors, landlords, employees, vendors, patients, and others through the often confusing and, of course, ever-changing legal landscape of the legal medical and adult use cannabis industry. Licensed in Colorado, Florida, and New Jersey, Rachel Ardenoy has committed her career to ending the stigma against cannabis, a.k.a. marijuana, a.k.a. 400 other names, and is dedicated to providing legal representation and guidance to move the cannabis industry forward. Uh, she and her firm are the subject matter experts who focus on one thing, working with cannabis companies. The RZA legal team has tremendous experience working in and with the cannabis industry. They're efficient purposeful, purposely a smaller firm and catering to small and medium-sized companies, highly involved with the industry and regulatory organizations to help craft common sense regulations and guidance that apply to cannabis companies. And I am super happy to have you here to talk to us about creative marketing, because obviously that would be a must do in your field. Yeah, just like all of my clients have to be very creative in how they run their businesses to maintain compliance um, with all the laws, rules, and regulations that are applicable to their companies. Um, you know, we too have to be pretty creative um, because some of the stigmas that are still in place um, structurally against cannabis in this country sometimes work against myself and my firm as well. So for instance, you know, Google ads does not like, they do not take my marketing dollars. You know, what do you do when the typical channels to market your business don't accept your marketing dollars? So that's kind of where I have had to operate um, since 2015 with my law firm and figure out non-traditional ways to get my name out there to build our clientele um, now across three states. And while we're going through this, when all of you want to stay connected with Rachel even more and see a lot of this creative marketing in action, the, there are some places where you can connect. Um, Breezy is going to drop those in the Facebook comments. But for anybody listening, we have rzalegal.com. That's the letter R, the letter Z, the letter A, legal.com. LinkedIn.com slash IN slash rzalegal. Facebook.com slash rzalegal. Instagram.com slash mjattorney underscore rzalegal. And then we've got the um, bit.ly.com slash cannabis law basics, a course to help other attorneys and law students about the legalizing the cannabis legal treatment in the U.S. and how to best serve cannabis clients. And then we're also going to have a sign up for her monthly newsletter, as well as their YouTube channel. However, I'm not going to read those out because you're going to need to use the link. So come to Facebook, grab the link for those. All right, we are going to dive into creative marketing today, but before we do that, I want to talk about our last episode that aired last Thursday. We had two people on from Even Up Law, Sam and Ray. We talked about how you maximize the value of PI cases, so one of the more common areas of law, and now we're going to dive into one of the more uncommon areas of law and talk with Rachel about creative marketing. So Rachel, before we get into that, is there anything else you want to add about your bio? 
Um, well, just to share that RZ Legal is my law firm. Um, so I started working of counsel at another firm with um, a solo who had been working in the industry um, back in 2015. And then once I had kids, I know we both have young kids, um, I realized that it wasn't working as enough counsel in order to raise my family and support them. And so um, went solo in January of 2018. And that lasted for about a year and a half before I got too busy and had to hire on more people. There we go. Yeah, I love it. And so walk me through a little bit of, I know you talked very briefly about like Google AdWords and whatnot, not taking your money. Walk me through kind of that process. Like when was the, when did you first realize this was going to have to be different? And then we'll talk more into what you all did as it comes to creative marketing. Good question. So I um, realized it when I went solo, when I was no longer of counsel and I said, okay, I need to build my clientele. A few of the clients um, that I had previously worked with decided they wanted to stick with me, but that wasn't going to you know, cover it. So um, I was trying to think, you know, and as a new, so a new solo at that time, you know, you kind of take advice from everywhere and um, you can definitely get that shiny object syndrome. But I felt like, you know, I need to do this the way other lawyers are being told to do this through search engine optimization, through, you know, AdWords, clicking, you know, all, all of these different things, social media, things like that. Um, and so I jumped headfirst in doing those things. And miraculously, Google did take a, a they, they took a, one of my ads for a while. And I didn't think there was any problem with it because, of course, I sell legal services. That's all I do is sell legal services. My clients happen to be in an industry that is no, not federally legal yet, but they, I'm a business attorney at the, at the bottom line, right? So um, I was kind of flabbergasted a few months afterward when Google, all of a sudden, I get an email saying, we're, we're not running your ads anymore. And it was specifically because my firm deals with cannabis businesses and, and, help, and advises them on the law and their rights. And so once that occurred, I realized that, um, you know, I was going to have to be more creative here. And so um, although it may not seem creative, I think at the end of the day, the, these maybe are the best and, you know, the, the rock steady ways of getting clients. But I realized I had to put my head down and make the right relationships in order to get the right clients that I wanted to come in. And that meant really working hard for my clients and being the lawyer that they want to call to get advice on, as opposed to just calling me if things go wrong and really seeing me as part of their legal team. And so we really try to push that to other clients and say, listen, like we're here for you. We're a member of your team because in this industry, it's so regulated. You really need to have someone who is on the team who's going to help you when any of these compliance or regulatory issues come up. So a lot of word of mouth and referrals from clients um, and then becoming really involved in the regulatory process. So, you know, in, here in Colorado, we have, you know, the legislature passes laws that impact cannabis, and then the regulatory agencies have to create rules. And they um, solicit input on those rules. And so I made sure to be involved with all those rulemaking and to get to know the leadership of the regulatory agencies. So that way, when someone comes up, uh, an issue comes up, then they would think like, oh, we know someone who, who does that. And so I really wanted to be that person who would stick in people's minds and, and stick in referral sources minds because it was clear I wasn't going to be getting that support through you know typical internet marketing, social media, Facebook has what is referred to as a shadow ban on cannabis related companies or topics. So if you know if you're on you're on Facebook right now, don't scroll away. But after this show, if you were to type in cannabis lawyer, 
it's likely to re result with a zero results if you were to search that term in Facebook because of this shadow ban that they have against not just professionals like myself, but obviously cannabis companies as well. Now that said, do I have a Facebook page? Yes. You know, do we engage in content creation and, and, and media? Um, absolutely. Because I'm hopeful one day that, you know, this ex existence on these channels will one day, you know, this shadow ban will be lifted one day um, when the federal government changes its, um, you know, treatment of cannabis. But and or that these businesses change their policies on how they're going to um, support cannabis businesses who are utilizing their platforms, both Instagram, you know. So I, I engage in that activity, you know, I engage in blog writing. Um, but for me, when I do those things, it's really secondarily to the marketing piece. It's to getting in, you know, education out to people on what these regulations do, on how you can enter into the market. You know, my firm, we represent the Davids of the industry, not as much the Goliaths. And so it's hard to find a lot of the information out there and the resources to get into the cannabis industry, no matter what state you're in. And so I, I try to be a resource of education for folks. I, like, I, like you said, I have, I have my blog out there. You can sign up through it for my website. Um, and there, you know, I put this information on, including the Cannabis Law Basics webinar. Um, you know, that was geared specifically toward other lawyers on how they can not just become a cannabis business attorney like me necessarily, although that's all that information's in there, but how to bring those potential clients who may have this lens of cannabis legalization impacting their legal issue and how you can welcome those clients in and, re and, and have them realize, you know, you are someone who is, you know, knowledgeable about this burgeoning area of law. So, you know, fostering relationships, you know, that being, I think the age old way of marketing, you know, I have considered that to be creative because I haven't had the opportunity to go and do these more mainstream things. You know, could I go get a billboard? I could probably get a billboard. I don't, <laughs> I haven't looked into that just yet as far as traditional marketing, but um, you know, becoming the chair of the cannabis law section of the bar association and you know that which is what i hold this year um and in years past just being involved um and, and jordan i think you could probably attest to this that one of the best sources i think of referrals are other lawyers and so i try to you know get out there with other lawyers present cle's to um other sections to let them know that you know cannabis legalization does impact their area of law as well and here's how um, I do a lot of that, um, a lot of those discussions on estate planning um, and uh, mostly estate planning and um, probate type issues that are impacted by cannabis business, business succession, things like that. So um, that said, you know, really just making the relationships with regulators, staying abreast of all those rules, regulations, um, being involved with um, industry groups, trade industry groups, like I'm a member of the National Cannabis Industry Association. Um, and a number of other sort of biting around the edges, nibbling around the edges in order to try to get the furthest reach. You know, if I'm teaching CLEs through the Bar Association, they're giving me backlinks on the CLEs to my website and things like that. So I've learned that those um, sort of things all add up and that even if it's something little, it's all planting seeds because you just never know. I mean, I get phone calls from potential clients years after saying, we saw you speak at 
you know, this Denver normal event. We saw you speak at such and such. And so I try to do, you know, lunch and learn sessions. I try to go speak on panels, um, like I said, through industry groups and also through the local law schools, just to let everyone know, like, we're here. This is an area of law. This is all we do. You know, we're here to educate, here to end the stigma, like you mentioned earlier. And um, and it has really grown. It has really grown. And I think just being authentic with all of your clients, you know, I am available to my clients. I have assistants. I have paralegals. They are an awesome team and we all work together. But at the end of the day, when someone wants to talk to me and I pick up the phone and talk to them, that I think really separates um, my firm from some of the others where it's really hard to get in touch with the lawyer who, you know, you, who, who you put your trust in. And when it comes to these businesses, cannabis industry, everyone who's part of this industry has turned in from another industry. And so everyone is new at this. Um, and so I think it's so important for people to have guidance along the way, because what worked and made you a very successful business person in one industry very well, very likely does not work or would need to be structured differently in cannabis due to the extra regulations. And so, you know, I love helping clients um, from the get-go, you know, so we can avoid any pitfalls and get them going on the right path, the right way, the first time. Um, you know, that said, I certainly have my fair share of clients who've come to me and said, I've blundered through this enough by myself or with people, other consultants in the industry that I felt, you know, would help us out on a cost-effective way. And now, you know, we have to do a lot of cleanup and, you know, potentially some defense work before the regulators. So, you know, I obviously, you know, I love helping those clients from the get-go. It, it, it's very successful. It helps the clients feel successful. Um, but, you know, sometimes people get into this industry because it's new, it's exciting, and they have been successful in their other businesses. And now they made the leap over here and realize, wait a minute, like, I, I need a guide. I need someone who's experienced. And, you know, it's not too late to get involved in the cannabis industry to any um, lawyers out there listening. Um, you know, some states, it's not even legal still on a state level basis. You know, I just became licensed in New Jersey this year because they legalized recreationally. And my colleague is from New Jersey and has, you know, is passionate about it and has ties there. And so we said, all right, let's do this. Um, but it's not too late. Um, so, you know, I think it's a really good time for folks who are interested in this topic to get involved because it's still it's still really at the ground floor, even in states like in Colorado. So I want to break what you said down a, quite, uh, a bit on some of the things. So have you you've been focused on cannabis companies the entire time since 20, since 2015? Yes, that's all I've been focused on since 2015. All right. So talk to me a little bit about your ideal client. Like, who are you trying to get in front of? Because then I think that's going to help impact and help people understand a lot of the decisions you've made to grow your practice. Yeah, I think the, um, you know, sort of mentioning back, I, 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 I prefer to get the clients at the stage where they are like at the concept stage and they say, we have this idea. This is generally what we want to do, but we need guidance. And then normally that guidance involves me giving the steps of, you know, first you need to find a location. You need to do the due diligence on land use and research and make sure the local government's going to allow it and get all the approvals and then find the real estate. And, you know, that's helpful. I, I, I try to help my clients in that regard because I have a real estate degree and I do a lot of real estate work. So helping them with the real estate search is really the foundational step. 
And, you know, it doesn't help if I have a client who's way down the road in rehabbing a piece of property and they didn't find out that that's too close to a school and they'll never be able to open a dispensary there. One example. So, you know, getting them before they make these big costly mistakes is always best, I think. And so if they're even flirting with the idea of, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a professional, I have a very successful flooring company, a very successful any company, uh, marketing company, but I really want to turn into doing cannabis. How can you help me do that? You know, having that first preliminary step, which is just setting up the consultation and sort of talking about what all the options are. You know, my tagline in my um, emails is legal, providing legal solutions to the cannabis industry since 2015. One thing I've noticed, and this is a hard thing to talk about what those like the ideal client avatar is because it could be found in many, it, it's, it's interesting in traits, I think, that are hard to suss out to say, oh, well, you're in this industry, so you have this trait. But I'll say that it's the common thread of all of my clients is they are tenacious and they will not say no for an answer. So they are, they are solution oriented and they are willing to get into an exceptionally regulated industry because they think that they have what it takes. And one of the things I frequently say to my clients is like, listen, there's people out there growing tomatoes, okay? If you can make it a viable business growing tomatoes, you can make a viable business growing you know, cannabis. Um, it's just in how we're gonna, you know, we need to structure it properly and be smart about it. And so, you know, I, another reason why I like getting them at the front end is because our tax laws in this country, there's a section of the tax code called 280E, which basically does not allow any cannabis company to make business deductions. And so before they're going off and paying on the business card for trips around the world to go to conferences and for marketing and for this, that, the other, you know, I want to get them ahead of time. So that way they don't find they have a million dollar tax lien, but no money to pay it because they weren't really allowed to take those deductions that they took. And so there's a lot that, a lot of things that go into it and doing it smartly that I, you know, prefer to help get them ahead of time. So that way, you know, they're not wildly successful. You know, maybe they had a $4 million year, but they owe 5 million in taxes, right? So there's, there's a lot to it. And although, you know, entrepreneurs tend to hit the gas pedal real hard at first, you know, we need those entrepreneurs. My, my firm, we love working with those entrepreneurs who understand the value of professional guidance. And so one other thing I'd like to mention is that in the cannabis industry, very frequently we get clients from sort of two camps. One is the camp of professionals who see this as a good business opportunity based on the ROI and their business plans, and they know they need a lawyer ahead of time. The other camp is the folks who come from um, the underground cannabis market and are not used to working with lawyers until they're in trouble. And so, you know, what I have seen as far as the highest level of successful groups is the, a good mix of both because it's hard to find a lot of business people who are passionate enough about making quality cannabis and cannabis products and that coming to market. You know, a lot of times you're just going to see like the corporate guys and, you know, seeing that, but really not, um, you know, understanding and valuing the quality of the product versus, you know, we have these, the plant folks, right. Who are much more, you know, concerned with the quality of the product, but maybe don't have the business sense and acumen that the others do. So the most successful groups I have seen in this industry have a great combination of both and they all understand 
that getting ahead and having professional guidance ahead of time is going to keep them out of trouble and keep them, you know, keep the most money in their pockets, essentially. Yeah. And I, I know you mentioned, you know, your clients have some traits in common, the tenacity and, and whatnot along those lines, but like, ultimately they're all business owners or trying to become business owners. Am I correct in that part? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And so, um, and then you talked about shadow ban. And so basically what that means is you are allowed on the platform, but people can't find you unless they go like directly to you. Yeah, generally. Gotcha. All right. Not so, as bad on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I, I haven't had as much trouble, but um, yeah, Instagram and Facebook are a challenge. So when it comes to, you know, obviously social media, you're limited in the reach from the shadow ban. Google doesn't want to run the ads, et cetera. So you're talking about kind of pivoting into those relationships. Did you have a process in place in terms of who you were trying to build relationships with? You know, at first I I have honed that process over time. Um, you know, as looking back, you know, in 2018, when I was just newly solo and had to really, you know, get all this stuff moving for myself, um, I joined a few groups that I realized I wasn't going to, um, you know, make, it wasn't going to return. Um, and, and I've slowly but surely figured out which groups are better and which are worse. You know, I was going to like monthly networking meetings, you know, there's certain that are industry friendly that I would go to and I would find some clients, but um, a lot of them, you know, we're happy to help with startups, but a lot of startups are sort of stuck between, you know, do we want to give away equity versus do we want, do we have a legal budget? And, you know, I'm not in the position to be taking on equity and becoming, you know, going into business with my clients on startups, um, especially just because of the volatility of the industry. Um, and, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's a risky business, um, depending on, you know, if you don't know who you're going into business with. So, you know, you want to make sure they're really good growers <laughs> before you go into business with them. So I'm not, I don't really take that tact. And so, you know, it's a challenge. I would find a lot of those folks, right. Really great ideas and, um, and you know, how to have, but, but no legal budget. Right. So, um, so I've honed in on, on the relationship marketing for sure. Um, you know, dropped certain groups that I was going to, joined others. Um, and I have found that, yeah, certain things I think pay off more than others. Um, you know, I'm a member of the legal normal, the legal committee of normal, um, which is the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. They're the longest um, cannabis uh, group, uh, activist group for legalization, um, started in 1970. And so I, you know, a lot of folks find me through the normal legal committee um, through the bar association itself, you know, the listservs, I'm, I'm, I keep an eye on the listservs of our local bar association, because a lot of times if the cannabis question comes up, um, you know, a, a business lawyer may dabble or then they say, okay, this is beyond what I can do. And so, you know, doing that kind of stuff, networking with sort of adjacent attorneys, right? Tax attorneys, um, employment law attorneys, administrative procedures act sort of attorneys so that kind of stuff has helped align me more with um you know finding those referral sources so i know you mentioned that you have honed this over time and obviously you know i, I don't know how many listeners or watchers we have of this who are in the specific cannabis industry but it's all very similar or at least like we'll go through similar mistakes and, and similar successes so can you walk me through a little bit of what you have learned to, how, how have you honed this? Like, what were some of the things that you did? Were you tracking better? Were you trying different places? 
Did you realize you wanted a larger audience, a smaller audience? Like uh, walk me through that a little bit so we can help other people make those same decisions or keep an eye open for those things. Yeah. I mean, I, some of the ways I would track it is, you know, many of these networking type groups all have a fee, right? So I would, before I would even sign up for that fee, I would go, most of them will let you visit once. So I go visit, see if there was a good fit. Um, you know, I don't know if we can like name drop. I don't want to like put anyone out there, but I would like go to certain marketing groups that are maybe nationwide or maybe local. Some are specific to women. Some are specific to um, just business owners, you know, in internal referral marketing type things. And so I would go to those. I would look at how much it costs and I would say, okay, how much, how many clients do I need just for a consult to make my money back on this? And so you know, most of them, even if I got one consult, because I do paid consults, I do not give out free consultations. Normally one consult would probably pay one or two would pay for it, whether or not I got a, the client signed. So I would make those kinds of decisions. You know, even now I still think about it. Like, you know, one of the more um, well-known lawyer, online lawyer referral services reached out and quoted me, you know, oh, well, it's only $2.99. It'll be the top lawyer marketed. No one else is in cannabis, you know, all these things. And, you know, I, I reached out to my many online legal mark, legal uh, groups because I am a member of a number of um, groups on Facebook that are other um, lawyers, solos, women-owned law firms. You know, I, I find that a great resource, actually. Um, and, so, you know, I really, I called them the board of directors of the firm. You know, what, what, what do you guys think? Would you do this? Does this sound like a good idea? And then, you know, a lot of the times, you know, they throw back the answers that are calling my heart anyway. And I knew the answer the whole time and whether I sign up for that or don't sign up for it, you know, it, it's a really good, I think it's a good way um, that I, I'm so grateful that this exists because these groups that um, I'm a part of really didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, and so it was, it was super helpful. And then also just knowing what other people it's nice to get out of the bubble, I'll say. You know, as a cannabis attorney, I am so in the weeds, and I and I mean that on purpose, of of these issues. And I forget sometimes to step back and and hear what does a cannabis lawyer do? You know, what do you do? And that was one of the impetus of making the cannabis law basics course because no one knew what I did. And frankly, you know, when I was talking to my mom about it, she was like, "Aren't aren't you like making like?" competitors by putting this webinar out there and I was like yes I guess technically but like I want competent counsel across the table I don't want to have to lawyer for both sides and I frequently still have to do that I'm not representing the other side but a lot of times the other side won't get a lawyer or they can't find one who focuses on this stuff or they're not willing to or whatever the reasons and then my client bears the brunt of me preparing you know the bill the million dollar asset purchase agreement because the other side you know can't find counsel or there's just, I, who knows all, all the reasons why. Right. So, you know, at least I guess in those instances, there was at least one competent counsel who knows the regulations and knows the, the all the hiccups that can go along with this stuff. But that was really my goal. It's like, I want other lawyers across the table to be able to be on par with me and know that, you know, it's okay to do this and not just like hide it as one of your areas of service at the bottom of your list of, practice areas that you do. Um, you know, was it risky for me to come out and um, say, you know, turn away non-cannabis business work? I think it was at first, but now I'm just too, like, I'm too busy to take those kinds of cases. 
you know, we represent landlords. It, it, it really is this cannabis legalization thing has rippling out. So like many of my clients aren't even cannabis plant touching businesses. It's the landlord who needs to sell their, you know, commercial building. It's um, patients. It's dealing with product liability cases that are cannabis specific. It's insurance. It's, it's so many different things. And so, you know, I've gotten to the point and my firm's not that old, you know, I, we just passed three years and for a year and a half of that, it was myself and my part-time paralegal. And I think the pandemic, you know, I think everyone was so used to working under such hard conditions that I was like, that I kept saying, well, you know, it's just the pandemic. We'll get through this. Well, last fall, I kind of realized like I need help um, because the, this has gotten a little out of hand. And, you know, now we're a team of six and I still find myself busy. It's like, was I doing all of, was I doing six people's worth of work last year? <laughs> so, you know, I think having the team in place and that in and of itself is, I think, an excellent creative marketing strategy because if you give um, your team a great place to work and they support your values and your mission, they're bringing in clients. My paralegals are bringing in clients. My, you know, associate is bringing in clients. So I think that's yet another like facet of the creative marketing mindset is like, if you make a good community, then they're, they're going to want to own that. And I think that has been one of the greatest successes I can talk, speak to in the past year is growing the team, which inadvertently grew the, the marketing for the firm. But with a rigid drug testing policy. <laughs> no, um, no comment. <laughs> Totally fine. Um, no, it's just, it's interesting to me because everything that you're talking about, it, although you are very niche, it is applicable to almost every profession. You know, you're looking for either either people niche into the specific practice area. You you're niching in the industry, which which varies your practice area a little bit, as opposed to the reverse, being a business attorney having varied industries inside of that practice. And so because of that, I mean, you're still taking those same steps that everybody talks about. You still have that ideal client avatar. You're still doing that marketing geared towards that, towards those people, whether it's the client directly, whether it's the referral source. So if you could go back to, you know, let's say talk to yourself three years ago and give yourself some advice, what would you want to have known earlier? Mm. <laughs> There's a number of things. I mean... If I, gosh, three years ago, that was just a lifetime ago, right? Um, at least for one of my kids. <laughs> I think I would have said, like, be more discerning as to these um, things that you think you should be doing for marketing your firm, because it's not one size fits all. And um, just like you said, that relationship building and referral marketing, I mean, like you said, that's applicable to everyone. You don't have to be a cannabis or any niche necessarily. Um, but I have found when don't try to force things that are just the avenues that are not open to you, you know, instead of like wringing my hands about the fact that, you know, Google and Facebook weren't sharing my information to the world, even though I'm like judiciously putting everything on there, doing what I should, updating my content, you know, doing all those things that at the end of the day, it was, you know, that one talk I did at a lunch that got me, you know, a the $10,000 client, you know, not all of these potential clicks in, in my case, you know, 
Um, but, but again, my clients are not as far so, and wide as, as I think some other practice areas. But along those lines, like what is your, when it comes to that lunch speaking opportunity, yeah. are you saying yes to as many options that are possible? Are you targeting that towards business groups? Are you targeting that towards other attorneys? Like how do you, how do you make that yes, no decision? Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, I have learned to hone those things to industry specific or, or business specific or lawyer specific. So if it's, you know, working with other sections of the bar association to do, you know, joint CLEs or, you know, giving them the, the, the picture on how cannabis has impacted their practice area, you know, I think that has increased the fact that, and has increased my number of cases where lawyers from other areas have said, can you co-counsel with me? Can you hire on my firm? You know, whatever you need to do. Um, so that has definitely helped. And then really just making the relationships with regulators and um, I think sharing that information and being present on those, you know, rulemaking committees. You know, for a while I, I was accepted onto one of them. You had to apply to be on the rulemaking committee. And, um, and then there were other times where I applied and I didn't. And I realized, you know what, I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to do all the work and I'm, and I'm going to get the last word in the public comment. That's all. So, you know, making yourself known amongst, because it's a small group of players and in, in each state, there's a small group of players. So it, I think this industry allows you to be a big fish in a small pond. And so I keep my eye on that prize in, in, in that, in that way is thinking, I can do this. And the fact that I'm now the, a chair of a candidate of the section of the bar association, um, that was a big deal for me because way back when I was a baby lawyer, you know, I was pretty involved in bar activities down in Florida, down in Jacksonville. Um, but never in a million years would I think that number one, I'd be a, you know, a chair of a section and that it would be the cannabis law section of the Colorado bar. So, you know, I think a lot of times when you're in a niche industry, you try to reinvent the wheel. And I've learned that that is also another thing that I've learned that I don't need to reinvent that wheel. Um, and that there are um, structures out there like the bar association, you know, there is uh, a separate bar association called the international cannabis bar association. It's a voluntary bar that's on its own. And I am a member of that as well, but we already have these things built in, you know, so I encourage others who are in involved or interested in cannabis go to your bar association. They, they do this. They already do the, you know, education, the, the networking, all of those things. If you can get them to open up a committee, even just a committee at first, cause that's where we had to start. And, you know, there's gotta be more than one person in, interested. And then you can build from there. You know, you really don't have to start from scratch to build, you know, a, a, an opportunity to network in this as lawyers, we have these state bar and local bar associations that can help get you there. Makes total sense. All right. So as we get towards the end here, um, anything else you want to make sure that we cover or talk about? No, I would just encourage those of you who are interested in cannabis to not let, you know, some of these setbacks hold you back um, because it, it is an industry that we need more attorneys in. Um, I would say to others who, you know, are building their firms in, you know, in their niche areas and, you know, come across folks who um, are interested in cannabis business to maybe not refer them just to a general business law firm, but to consider that there are cannabis specialist firms out there. 
And then um, I think my most important piece would be, you know, showing a willingness to help solve problems and find solutions is always going to beat having all the answers. Um, I found that just to be the answer in business law generally. But, um, you know, if you're willing to have that answer, to find that answer and, and come up with solutions and be creative, and you're doing that in your own business too, I think that comes through to the clients and it's a, it's a valuable asset. And then finally, um, you know, what I have realized in, you know, I, my firm is meeting its metrics for success and, and, and that feels good. But what I've realized is that, you know, it can't come at my own personal expense. And I realized that last fall when I realized I need to grow this team because I, I can't, I can't do it all. And, and this isn't just the pandemic speaking, like there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And so, you know, I think nurturing yourself as a person, you know, going on vacation, um, you know, setting boundaries, taking care of yourself, in addition to taking care of your firm, um, is going to have exponential impacts on the success of your firm. Makes total sense. All right. So um, I want to talk about our next episode. If you've enjoyed this show and you want to continue watching Exhibit A Turnings, you can join us back here at 1.30 on Thursday. So Thursday the 23rd at 1.30. We're going to have Vikram Rajan on. Vikram runs video socials where basically it is part networking group, part Toastmasters, part content creation. So they get a bunch of people together and you do like a three minute presentation on a topic and then you get some feedback on your performance of it. And then you can take that video and share it across social. So Vikram's going to talk to us a lot about social media and content creation, especially along the lines of video, which is huge. I'm excited for that chat with him on Thursday, the 23rd at 1.30 eastern time but rachel i'm not gonna let you go without that final take a uh, nugget of wisdom that biggest takeaway if somebody's been listening to this for the last uh, 35 40 minutes they remember nothing you said except what you share here what would be your biggest piece of advice on how another attorney can be the exhibit a of a successful attorney like yourself it can be something we've talked about it can be something totally different up to you i would say um you know your law firm is like your baby, right? And you want to do the best and feed it the best and expose it to the best and, um, and take care of it and nurture it. And um, so I would say, you know, list, look at all the resources out there. There's a ton out there. There's a great age for that. That said, listen to your gut, listen to your heart. What can you live with? What are your boundaries? Never forgetting those things. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to be an, a successful lawyer and law firm owner, but it also takes the belief that you're going to be successful in it. So I think having both of those things is really um, the most important takeaway to, you know, being a successful uh, business owner and law firm owner. I love that. That is great advice. And so for people that want to stay in touch with Rachel Moore, we've got the links in here. Also, you can join our Facebook group solutions for lawyers by lawyers. It's on Facebook solutions for lawyers by lawyers. Most of our guests are in there. We continue a lot of the conversations from some of these as other questions come up. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of a successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.